What's good, everybody? It's Alex Camuno here, and we're back with episode 55 of the Money Monopolizers podcast, and I'm here with my co-host, Marlon Walls. Marlon, how you doing today, bro? I'm doing good, bro. So you got like a change of scenery back there. Where you at? So what you mean? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, see, I don't see your classic tree right now, either. It's right there. <laughs> oh, God, I got to look. <laughs> no, nah, bro. Um, just for everybody, just to understand, it's crazy. We're in the same house right now. Uh, Alex came down to, to visit for a bit, so we're both in Houston. Um, we're a little too wide to fit in the same screen, so, hey, it's going to make it work, but... No, um, I'm doing good overall, man. I think that um, all of our properties that we own are trying to, we're trying to sell right now are in competition with each other as far as like trying to uh, see who can take the longest to, to sell. Because I see that each and every one of them, I think the mobile home, the house in San Antonio and mine back in Indiana are all like in the process of closing and everybody's getting delayed. It's crazy. But I know sooner or later we're going to get some nice checks coming through. So it's just it's been a waiting game right now. But overall, I've been chilling. I've been pretty good. Um, I ain't got too much, bro. How how you been? Been good, man. Life is good. I can't complain at all. I'm uh, you know, definitely looking forward to getting um, you know, going with these houses getting sold. Uh, hopefully, in this next week, we'd be closing on that flip, and then we could get into the next one. Um, but other than that, man, it's been same old, same old. If you want to really know, you could just go listen back to the last three episodes. It's been the same. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um other than that i think i think that it's not really much going on i'm just staying busy which is always the same thing so but other than that we had a great great episode today it was a pretty long it was a longer episode um we'll see how uh, long it is after editing maybe maybe not yeah we, i don't know we're gonna have to see but it was a definitely a longer episode but it was a great episode in terms of um everything we got into we talked to erica williams and she is um a, I get. I mean, she says she wants to be known as, you know, the media and real estate person that's also involved in trucking. Um, but yeah, she's she's doing a, a bunch of stuff. She's, you know, big on YouTube, and I think she said that she has over like seven million YouTube views on her videos, and uh, she, you know, made one hundred and eighty thousand dollars off of YouTube last year. So, you know, we definitely got into that in terms of like how she's been able to monetize YouTube and monetize the internet and how to actually do that and what she's doing with that money, converting it into, you know, her, um, uh, uh, or she's using it to invest in real estate and then trucking and then also doing that for other people. So, you know, she's doing a lot and we definitely got into a lot. So you know, there's definitely a lot to unpack in this episode, but it was a good episode. It was a good, um, what did you think of it? I think she provided a whole lot of value. You can really have to listen to this one probably a couple of times because she went through a whole lot of information. So it, it's probably some stuff, some stuff will go over your head the first time you hear it just because it was so much at once. But I think it was a lot of value packed in this episode. I think um, she really gave like the blueprint of how she got started and as well as why she was able to have as much success as she was. She was talking about starting, how she started up YouTube and just being authentic on there from the get-go and then how that leads to different opportunities for her later on with her investments, with getting into real estate, trucking, and her other businesses and everything. So I think she laid out a lot of information. So it's just, it's full of um, value for people to take heed to. So I'm really hoping people uh, gain a lot out of this one. Yeah, I think if you really want to, um, if making money online is something you're interested in, something you have been interested in, I think that was part of the primary focus of this episode. So you could definitely, you know, we'll get a lot of value from that um, and, and just a lot of gems in regards to business and entrepreneurship as well. So there was a ton of value in here. Um, so let's get right into it, though. Hey, Erica, how are you doing today? 
How you doing? <laughs> we doing good. We doing good. Happy to have you on here. Um, this is we. I know you got a lot going on, so we definitely want to get into you know everything that you got going on and uh, the bulk of your story and how you got to, how you got into where you are today. Um, but usually, how we start, we usually want to you know get into your upbringing and your background with money. So, do you mind like kind of getting into that and telling us how that was for you growing up in regards to finances at home and just even your perception and how it changed and also you know get into what your business looks like today after? For sure, for sure. So uh, a lot of people know I'm, I'm from the Carolinas, but I was a military kid, so I lived in Alaska, uh, lived in Tennessee, lived in Maryland a bit, uh, but mostly North Carolina. Uh, parents were together uh, when they divorced. Uh, my mom moved into this really great neighborhood in North Carolina near uh, Fort Bragg. Uh, from that region, we we're from a family that owns uh, farms and businesses and cheap rental properties, and we still do that to this day. So. But a big thing that kind of played into that was in the 1980s, kind of the farming bust. And everybody in our family was kind of cramped into like a couple houses. And they're like, all right, everybody, this is the worst. Everybody, let's go do. And so yeah. we had a lot of people go join the military. A lot of uncles and cousins became police officers. Uh, and some became nurses. Some moms became nurses. So gotcha. Big community. So, so was it, was it, I guess, it, I mean, you talk about you have farms and rental properties and all that. Did you grow up kind of in the, in in, in, or environment that encouraged you to go to school, get a degree and take on debt? Or was it more so, hey, you know, get some assets, you know, entrepreneurship is the way to go. How, how did that look like as a kid? What were you encouraged? So the biggest thing I can tell people is uh, Cashflow Quadrant from Rich Dad Poor Dad. It's the best book ever because it helped me understand my family. So mm -hmm. we have five girls and one cousin that's married in. So six girls, like 20 boys, <laughs> just a bunch of boys. And so everybody followed that path ever since the 1980s. Um, there's a, a, a book about like, if something traumatic happens and it shifts the family, everybody kind of repeats a cycle. So we had all these young men in our family go straight to the military, do their four years, come out. Now they have cash to buy a house and have a car and start from there. All the girls were pushed to go to school. You guys, no, 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 don't do what I mean. Go to school. Now when one of the girls disobeyed, she went and me and my sister, of course, didn't go. And uh, it, but the ideal ultimately was still safe, secure job. So once I left college, when I was done with college, it was like, okay, now you can go be an officer for four years. You can go get, be, it's safer than enlisted. See, you know, you can go get this safe, secure job or a government job on for Bragg, and then you can meet somebody nice. And I mean, it, it's literally very security based, even though grandpa had a farm and a juke joint, even though grandma used to be selling fish plates on Saturdays to raise money for you know, the rent and everything, right? Because she had all these daughters. People always walked by on this place and bought fish plates. So you always like, um, and it's after grandpa died, but uh, so you always are like, y'all have always been doing entrepreneurial things. Right, so it sounds like when you were growing up, it, there was entrepreneurship all throughout your family, but it, they try to keep it mainly in the guy's side of the family. So, but for you, you was like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, um, I guess uh, you see all these things that are going on. Like, you you see the, the success that they can have. you like, just because I'm a female doesn't mean I can't do it too. Like, I can go, go get it my own way. Especially, like you, you said, by seeing, you said it was your cousin? Yep. That, that, yeah, by seeing him, seeing him uh, 
do something like that sounds so bizarre, like uh, talking with people in China, being able to look in the catalog and literally get get a store up and running. You, you see that, that things are possible. I think that's one, one thing that most people are missing, especially in our black community, is that we don't get to see these things uh, that other people are doing that's very obtainable for anybody. But if we don't see these things, like we don't see businesses being built in our communities by people that are around us, we're not ever going to think that we can amount to it. But just by seeing it, you're able to like actually get started and uh, pretty much do, build, build up your business to where they are today. I want to comment too on what she had said too, because uh, you had mentioned the cash flow quadrant. And I'm, oh, yeah. uh, I really think just having that perspective is really good at the, you know, at that young age and being able to see different ways that people are making money and kind of how, you know, what you can kind of relate to more. That's a really interesting and unique perspective that a lot of people aren't able to even get. So the fact that you were able to see that, I'm sure, you know, that led you to kind of even where you are today in terms of like knowing, hey, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to be an employee. I want to be a business owner. I want to be on the right side of the quadrant. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah. No, that's a good point because that's one of Alex's favorite books of all time because it does really like lay a foundational work of understanding the different mindsets of the different quadrants like and understand that there are different quadrants to make money out of and you don't have to just be an employee or just go down that path because that's what your parents were doing or that's what they were encouraging you to do like you know that there's other avenues and anybody is available to take those avenues i think the best line in the book somewhere it says um they can only give you an answer from their their place of security right so mm -hmm. family super security focused and so if i'm frustrated i don't know what to do I'm, i've hit rock bottom well you can still go in army you can yeah. still go get a government job you can still go do it right because it's that security but like that's the only answer they can give you Right. And so a lot of times people unfortunately live in families where nobody's a business owner. So you're trying to do something different and it, and it culturally clashes and it also, they can't offer you any advice. And so you're, right. you're pulling away from, we're very tribal in America, white, black, whoever, we're very tribal. If yeah. you meet a family of all white firefighters and the one brother wants to go be a cop, it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Right. Okay. You know, cause they're breaking from tradition. And right. so it's the same thing in, in the African-American family. We actually have a wall of honor where we have like, uh, I think it's all the way back to like the Civil War. We have a, someone who's fought in every war in America, that America's had. And so like for me to go, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna do military at all. No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> so after, after that then, what, what, was, how, what was the next thing you did after you said, okay, I don't wanna go to school? What was like that first entrepreneurship? Well, I went to college at East Carolina University. And so while I was there, uh, unfortunately, my senior year, my grandmother and my father died six months of each other. So I had a little bit of inheritance, not a lot. And I used that money uh, in between volunteering for the Red Cross. I used that money to start a coffee shop in Fayetteville, North Carolina, across from a historically black college called Fayetteville State University. And it's Sunset Coffee. Anybody can Google it and see it back in the day. And I was there and it was like exciting to see young black people that were like a little bit younger than me come in and be like, you own this? I remember there were people I actually fell out of friendship with because they didn't believe, they're like, you don't own this, stop lying. You, where you get this money from, right? And I remember telling this guy like, we ain't never gotta speak, right? <laughs> because because he really was insulted at the ideal that like it wasn't my family, it was mine. And that worked great for two years. It was fun. It was exciting. And the roaster who roasted my beans said, hey, honey, you know, to make money and make this really work long term, you need to be selling beans online. There's this whole setup you can do on Amazon.com. Let me show you. Let me teach you. And I was like, mm, no. And they're like, you really need to do this. And this was right before it became like, really like Amazon.com, right? I started reading the four-hour work with. And I was like, no. 
And sure enough, the city started tearing up that road across from Federal mm -hmm. State through government contracts and, you know, revitalizing that part of town. And me and four of the businesses on that block actually uh, closed because the students couldn't safely get across the street. So they had to drive or go around or they had to run across the street with their backpack on. And it was already like stressful for them because the Mercus kind of have a bad history. Uh, and so for me, it was like, okay, man, close my shop. What am I going to do? And I had got out of a relationship where, you know, long and story short, we didn't get married. And so I flipped a coin. I said, I'm going to go to Nashville, Tennessee or Austin, Texas, because I had gone there with some friends. And some friends were like, oh, yeah, we're, we're in Colleen. It's so close. I was like, oh, really? But I flipped the coin and the coin, of course, flipped for Austin. So I get here. I'm mad with them because I realized Colleen is not close to Austin at all. I was so hot. I was mad. I was there for six months in a sales job like. I'm ready to go. <laughs> and, but um, when I got, I tried to get back into having a job. I went to go be an apartment manager, a billings manager in Austin. And, and you know, it was like, I was like trying so hard to get back into having a job and I delivered pizzas at night. What was funny is that both jobs, people kept saying, why are you here? You seem like you can go do something else. Why are you here? And I would laugh because I go, I know. <laughs> like, like, I know I could go be somewhere else I just didn't have my funds together yet. And so when I, I took my second job delivering pizzas, I learned this whole real estate area of Austin, like to a T, I learned it, right? So uh, there was a painting issue at our complex. We're a 700 unit complex, we're changing it, we're changing paint, we're changing colors, we're painting doors. And we talked to the management, we said, listen, we just did the math, you just hire a one painter, um, at $50,000 a year, and he come to work from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., and all he do is paint every single day, we will be able to manage and save you thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. She looks at me like, who, who are you? Why are you talking to me? She was the actual property investor. She bought the property, her and her family. And she goes, no, we'll just outsource it. And like, dismiss, like just dismiss me like I was stupid, right? It ended up costing them $450,000 from the outsourcing because instead of just 50 apartments moving out that summer, 150 moved out. So now they had to like triple and, and, and this is on top of also painting some exterior colors. So the guy that came in, he was like 32 and I was like, how are you doing this company? He was like, just, just did. I'm like, let me take you to lunch. So immediately after that day, I called my friend. I said, listen, we're gonna start a paint company. <laughs> and my friend Andrew Bryant is a really great sales guy. He knocked 10,000 doors in Dallas. That's his award he got. And so we just started like getting painting jobs, getting fencing jobs. And I was able to like check the phone here and there. And eventually I ended up quitting because we were making so much money. I could just answer the phone and take payments, right? And I got my real estate license at the same time. So I was doing this grand exit like, like double time, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, right? And in that transition, like I was in the interview with the company, like, why should we put you at our real estate firm? And I just described this whole area and they're like, how do you know that area so well? You just got here in Texas. I'm like, I deliver pizza that night. Gotta know the area. Gotta know the area to get in it, right? And uh, so, so for over the next like two years, it was a really great learning experience on running a business. It made me feel so at peace because I was growing my YouTube, I was documenting my journey. Um, I was just super excited about Texas. I mean, we were like two-stepping, like I was with a church single group, we're two-stepping every Friday, tubing down the river every Saturday. You know, Sundays were a blast. And I was really feeling like I was living my purpose. Well, of course, like anything, I ended up having, um, before a lot of that started, I had a 
emergency appendix story. <laughs> so like my appendix is about to burst, I'm crawling into the hospital, I get in there, and they're like, oh, you probably got food poisoning. No, 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 I'm, I'm pretty sure something bad's going on in my stomach right here. So they're like, oh, just lay down. And about one o'clock, the doctor, this like a fresh face doctor from probably some school maybe a year or so ago, and he's like, um, so your appendix is about to burst. And every doctor that could do surgery has left about an hour and 30 minutes ago. So we're gonna give you all this morphine, knock you out and get you up at the first thing and be the first surgery to be done in the morning. So to me, I'm just in pain, so I'm like, sure, whatever. I'm out, I wake up in the morning. They're like, got me scribbling my name and I go through the surgery. They come in my room and go, ma'am, um, you, you don't have insurance. I said, oh no, I, I don't have it. This bill, this whole bill is $46,000. And I go, what? I'm looking there looking pitiful because I'm in pain. And um, sure enough, they go downstairs and they have this form, this application that said financial hardship form because this is a Catholic church. Uh, Seton, Seton Medical is Catholic. And so I fill it out and they go, man, you're in luck. You're one of the, the surgeries we're going to absolutely waive. The only thing you had to pay for is a morphine. I was like, well, y'all shot me up with that morphine because you took too long, right? So I never had to pay like maybe like less than six grand for morphine or something like that in the end, but I was just like, I never want to be in a position where I'm like, oh my God, $46,000, I'm going to be bankrupt. So, um, you know, that happened. And then on the back, you know, while I was recovering, I had, I had money that I kept putting into, I kept putting in the lending club, I kept putting in the stock market. And, and so I was like, all that pizza delivery money that people were laughing about, it was paying me dividends and paying me. And I was able to liquidate some different shares because I had put that money away. And so the journey in itself has been up and down, up and down, up and down. But overall, what I learned is like, once you kind of run a business, going back to employee status is essentially very hard. Well, then YouTube, I ended up having about $50,000 in sales, consulting, courses, everything. And I was like, what? No, I was about to take a job for 70K a year to plan parties because I had a rough two months and I just made $50,000. From just focusing on YouTube, launching that month, consulting calls, just literally it was like a ramp up for two weeks. I just did a ramp up for two weeks and made 50K. And for me at that moment it was like the light bulb hit, like, okay, consistent marketing. You don't have to do launches. Just be consistent in your marketing. And then you don't have to worry about having these really bad droughts, right? Right? Month of, of plenty, month of drought. Month of plenty, month of drought, right? Um, and this is because at this point I had like sold out my share of the company to my friend, the painting company. And so I was like, I'm just going to focus on YouTube. And then I was having those, those bad months, good months, bad months, good months. I was like, there has to be more consistency to this. And that's when I started really focusing on, um, sales and marketing strategically. But I think the biggest theme from that whole entire, you know, soliloquy was the fact that you always were taking action. Um, and you were always continuing to like move forward, no matter, you know, what happened in any case, in any situation, it was always like, okay, what's the next step. Right. Yeah. And even with starting like the painting company, you see someone doing it and it inspires you to, okay, how can I do something similar? Right. Or I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what kind of inspired you for, to start with YouTube and that whole kind of, um, you know, internet and the marketing and making money online and that kind of stuff. Oh, I'm, I know you mentioned like the lady, she told you, you need to be selling online. So I'm sure that was a big thing, but that's, again, you're taking action in that regard, right? And then I know just one comment with that too is I really like that strategy just because of the fact of, I mean, you mentioned you can make, 
you're you're making money off of videos like five years ago right and that's like the beauty of like selling stuff online is because you can put in the effort or even selling services you put in the effort one time up front and it's like it pays you for the rest of your life um and you don't even have to even look at it again so that's that's super dope um, yeah, I was going to go into it as well, though. Like, yeah. one thing I liked with your story is that you were able to leverage your nine to five in order to, to fuel your business, though. Like, all the business that you started was literally because of your working your nine to five. But you, every time that you go there, you go with a plan of saying, I'm not just going to deliver these pieces. I'm going to learn the layout of the land. I mean, yeah. un- intentionally or unintentionally, you were able to do that. So now you're, you're co- consciously looking around, able to start providing leads for each at the realtor, um, just like being able to be at, at least or because you just you know what's coming up you know about the area and then you start seeing the, you learn about painting you learn about the fencing a lot of things came as a result of just be, uh, being intentional about how you utilize your time during your nine to five because I know most people dread their nine to five and always want to try to like get rid of it as fast as possible to start that business but you use that to actually fund fund your business and to become more knowledgeable about the business the businesses that you took on as a result I know you mentioned YouTube a lot in, in that entire story. I know Alex also asked about it. Like, how did that come about and what has that been for you? I, I know I'm um, just looking at your story, like your background a little bit. That's really played a, a large factor with like building your audience and like being, getting investments and stuff like that. So how did that come about? So the craziest part about the whole YouTube thing is I, it was a group of six of us talking about starting YouTube channels many moons ago, right? This is like seven years ago. And I said, all right, guys, this is going to be so awesome if we start channels. If you do this, and I do this and like we'll cross market each other and we'll talk. And and I was the only person out of six people that did it. And I and I ended up just going documenting my journey and giving book reviews and giving tips on business and kind of just kept talking the journey. And so a lot of my earlier stuff is super motivational. So people watched it for that. And as I started going on my journey, I started just giving people like what was going on behind the scenes. And what was funny is I had this one time I had a and and the money like I'm doing an income report later this year on purpose just not a, a brag but a brag because I went to lunch with somebody and they were like oh you still doing that little YouTube channel I said well yeah, I that, that little YouTube channel paid me 180 grand last year and that her mouth was on because you know she's a big nurse like she's not a little nurse she's a nurse that makes like a hundred hundred racks right so when I told her I made it 180 it was like like I just poo-pooed in her cereal right and <laughs> And it was funny because my friends who live here in Austin have seen me go up and down, up and down, up and down, like just a lot of change. They're like, just get a job. <laughs> like, like instead of going through all this and, and hustling and marketing, just get a job. And I was like, that month that I made that 50K, I was like, this is why. This is why I'm not getting another job. You can always start, a, you can start a million businesses. You, 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 you can only work two jobs without like killing yourself. I worked like three one time. And like my appendix about went out, right? And it did. Um, and so what I tell people is like the YouTube sharing that journey that there's people that look like me anywhere you go doing this um, was, I think was one of those things where community, people wanted somewhere to go. You know, you're trying to tell your family about business ideals. They're looking at you crazy. So then you come on, this girl's talking about doing business and people in the chat are talking about doing business and people in the Facebook group are talking about doing business. It actually just changes that for them do you know what i mean there's a they're not alone there are people out there um who are just like them or thinking like them yeah so so the youtube really was super super impactful and i don't run youtube like uh for youtube i run youtube for me now prime example what do i mean if you don't have an email list you don't have a business and this was many years ago ryan dice he's here in austin texas people don't really realize that and so is brian moran they've been here in austin for years now 
And I remember watching a video and he was like, if you don't have an email list, you don't have a business because YouTube can cut you off any day, Facebook, Instagram, all of them. And people were like, oh, you're so dramatic, Erica. And I remember the next month, um, I forgot her name was like Alex Keaton or something, but Beaton or whatever, they cut her YouTube channel. And she didn't know why. She, she was like losing it, right? She was like, you know, venting on Facebook. But what was so amazing about her story is I got an email. I was on her email list. I didn't realize I was on there. Hey, you guys, we lost the YouTube channel. We don't know what happened. But thank you guys for those who joined the $9.99 uh, membership. Well, I go in there. There's a thousand people in there. Yeah. So, so is she hurting or not, right? She's okay. She's going to be just fine. Okay. <laughs> like every dollar, 10, 10, you do the math for $10, 10 times a thousand people. She's okay. She was upset, but she will start over. But all this thing, whole thing taught me as I was watching people literally lose their YouTube channels. Hey guys, you cannot, every third party platform performs the same. They will do whatever they need to do to protect their brand. Now on Facebook, I'm not going to leave Facebook alone. Reason I haven't been doubled down on Facebook. There was a black hip hop magazine and, and it was kind of like, I'm trying to think of the name, but it had like 300,000 likes. Um, it had people paying like $10 a month to hear the interviews on there. The company themselves, they actually had staff in New York, like four or five people on staff getting these interviews. They get interviews with rappers. They go on uh, radio stations. And guess what happened? Facebook killed their, their fan page. Just killed it and didn't give it back. Because he went from 300000 I think, that month to like 700000 So he had like doubled in size. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And right when it got about 700000 Facebook killed it. It went away. With no excuse, there was no one they could talk to. I mean, the guy was out there making YouTube videos, crying about how he had this big Facebook page and he had staff, and they took away his business. And how crazy did that sound? Because the first thing everybody asked him was, "Where's your email list?" I kid you not. He was like, "We just started making an email list." I said, "You had three hundred thousand people for a year and a half. You hiring staff, and you didn't have an email list." And then you you petitioning, you want to sue Facebook? Hey, you guys, help us sue Facebook. I'm like, sir, sir, that was on you. That's their platform. Yeah. That's not your website. <laughs> That's not you. You don't own that. <laughs> um, and, and so for me, what I keep trying to get people to understand is like, when I teach in my YouTube course and I teach in my classes, is like, you have to have an email list. There has to be a way, if something happens to you, people can communicate with you. <laughs> because that's not your platform. Yeah. Now, I can say you can go have your own website. It's rare that you get your website taken down unless you're just doing something illegal. But that's the thing. I wanted people to get away from that. It's free traffic. I'm just going on Instagram. I'm just going on Facebook. I'm gonna, no, no, no. You have to build it. Like You have to really build a business. If you treat it like a hobby, you'll get paid like a hobby. If right. you treat it like a business, you'll get paid like a business. And that's what people are learning You know, the hard way in these last two years. I think that speaks to really the um, concept of ownership and just in the, con mm -hmm. in the sense that you know, these platforms like social, all these social media platforms and including YouTube, they're just, they're just platforms. I mean, we don't, you don't even own any of your followers. They're yeah. just, you're just, honestly, it's just a, a, a tool to leverage them to get them, you know, to, the goal is to be able to send them to somewhere you actually own or somewhere you can actually always communicate with them. And you have kind of control of that relationship because everything is direct to consumer now. That's just kind of how we're, you know, how society's transitioning. And especially too, when you think back like a few years ago, imagine, you know, they had the whole net neutrality thing. 
whenever uh, if that would have actually happened then a whole bunch of people would have been SOL because now it's like a whole bunch of people that were only using, you know, YouTube and stuff because it's free and now they have to start paying for it. They're not going to use it. But had you sent them already somewhere else, then you would have been a lot better off. Um, but, you know, that's so that's a really good um, point to make if someone is trying to actually um, monetize something online or sell products or even services online or send, you know, have some sort of uh, social proof online to make sure you're sending them somewhere. Yep. And uh, I mean, I'm just reemphasizing everything you're saying though, because I, me and Alex talk about this all the time is that the, honestly, Instagram is using us as a tool. Like they use us and see us as somebody's going to keep other people on their platform longer. Now they have full control to say, if you're not doing what we want you to do, we can instantly kick you out. That's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Those are all platforms that they're building their own, uh, they're building their, their own success, their own um, millions off of us of using it. Like and they don't approve of what we're doing, then it's like, hey, they can kick you out because they have a million more um, influencers out there that are going to be able to keep uh, bringing in in revenue. I think that also brought up a good point, though, is that you don't need to have 300000 in order to be able to make a nice living for yourself from the people that are the true supporters of you. Because I know for a fact, if you start a, a group that costs and they and people are joining in, those are the ones who are like the loyal followers. They're going to be with you. They, they stick in like they really um, appreciate and approve of what you're doing. And they, they want to feed, they can probably feed back into you just for what you're what you've been doing. So if you can build that type of base, that's something that will be will lead you to a lot more successes. Uh, I mean, like prior potential investment opportunities even. So I, I'm pretty sure that, is that kind of like what you did as well? Like as far as with your YouTube, like you've been using it as far as sure. your face. So how have you done that? Well, it's, it's a little bit of little layers to it. What I tell people when I say I raised $1.9 million last year, uh, well, the past two years, what I, what I really did is I created a relationship with people because this is a part important part of uh, investment. So there's a thing called a blind fund. I didn't do that. Right. So that's just SEC. Just in case you listen. I didn't do that part. Right. A blind fund is, is another level. What I did is I went and I did about 52 flights uh, last year and the year before. And I would go have events and I meet people in person. I shake hands. I have a boat party that happens every year. People come and meet me and I raise money from those relationships. Right. So and that was just me. And that was me every day turning people away that I didn't think were a good fit. Right. So people are like, hey, I've got 20K, I've got 30K. I'm, got I'm like, I don't think you're a good fit. I just don't think you're a good fit. And because you have to have that, you have to have a, a category, a list of how you'll work with people and if people are capable. So I have people in my investment club who, uh, to get into the truck deal when I when I was opening up for the trucks, was 5K or 10K. And we had people who did straight up 20K, like partnerships with people. What I learned in that is anything less than 5K, I could not deal with. Um, we had one or two people who I allowed to come in on like a thousand or two thousand dollars for some of the rental properties. And to this day, those are the most difficult members to this day. So what you have to understand is usually if somebody's on there, they're like, I got this thousand and I'm going to put it in something. It better cut me money every month. You're going to have to work 10 times harder for that person that gave you a thousand than the person that gave you 20,000. Yeah. I have a person right now who gave a hundred thousand dollars to me over various projects last year. They don't even show up for the, the quarterly meetings. They don't even show up in the Slack. They don't even call me. They're like, oh, oh okay. You send me email? Good, good. Yeah. I've had people get 50K. Don't even hear from them. People who gave me 30, don't even hear from them. I have one person gave me 20. I think he comes to one of the meetings a year. So there's levels to it. And, and I could do a whole class on that, but I'm not. But what you have to understand is the partnership and opportunity is there. If you are known, liked, and trust, if people trust you, 
you do what you say you're going to do. You're over communicate with them. And you're very transparent. You know, people have come to his office and be like, oh, this is your real office. Like, yeah, we really show up to work here every day. <laughs> like not every day, but um, we're in here working to provide returns for our investors. That's all you have to do. Right. And people really overcomplicate that. Now, same thing with what we were talking about previously. When you see all these people on there and they're like, I make 10K a month. And people are like, oh, those are lies. Not really. I mean, I love I love doing this little, I have to do the little math on my paper, think about it. But literally, I used to go 10K, okay? 10K. So if you're doing YouTube, let's say you're already going to get your $1,000 check from YouTube. So let's just go ahead and knock off that down. So now you're at 900. Okay, so out of the 900, let's say you have a product that's not 100 bucks. Let's just make it easy, all right? I'm going to use my calculator because I don't want y'all to be later. Somebody be like, she was off on her numbers. Okay, so divided by 100, that's 90 people, 90 people a month, right? And you're like, oh, that's a lot, Erica. Now let's 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 kick it down even more. Let's say you have a $500 product. That's 18 people a month, right? Uh, you've seen how popular credit repair is and how more popular it's going to be in the next three years because of this Rona, right? That's, that's easy. That's an easy sale. Uh, even if I had like a, a 997 product, which people love talking about that, that's nine people, right? Let's say you do a, a, a monthly co- coaching that's like a thousand five hundred bucks. That's six people. So when you see these young guys right here, like, yeah, I make 10k a month, and we're like, no way, it's possible. Yeah, it's just math. It's just reaching out to people. It's just communication. It's just right now I have a Facebook group. And this guy's got a Facebook group. Like, I'm going to tell you right now, Facebook groups, big money. Paid Facebook groups is big money, right? And I'm going to just I'm be easy on that because I want Facebook looking for me. But if you have, there's two groups I'm in. I pay 250 bucks a month to be in there. There are 283 people in there paying 250 a month. That's 70 grand a month. And the guys, it's three of them. They come in there and they do live talks. They in there chatting all the time. They're in there communicating and and people are like, well, I just need one more talk. And it'll go on live. Hey, what's up? Can three dudes split 70K a month? I think so. And get it yeah. done. I think, I think they'll be okay. Yeah. Um, I'm in another group where we pay uh, 125. I think in that group I have, is there 500 people in there? There's like 575 or something like that. That person's also making up $71,000 a month. So, so, so the possibility is, let's say somebody just pays you $25 a month. To be in there, and you got a thousand people because you're gonna get more when you have smaller amounts. That's twenty five thousand a month. I have a Facebook group. People pay ten dollars, and people still be, oh my god, can you cancel my thing? Oh my god, I'm trying to save money. I'm like ten bad dollar baby. Okay, <laughs> let's go ahead and let you out. Let's go ahead and get you out. I have, I think four hundred people in that one. Uh, so ten dollars times four people is like four thousand. Um, there is another group I know of that people pay a thousand to be in there, but it's 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 for a certain real estate company in Colorado. I think there's maybe a hundred in there. Yeah. So, 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 so money's everywhere. It depends on the level of value you're giving people. Yeah. And that's really what I wanted to hit. That's what I wanted to hit on that last exact point that you made, because I know people can hear this and be like, Oh man, I don't have any expertise in real estate or finance or money. It's like, that's not what you had to do. It's just finding whatever you're interested in, something you feel like you have some expertise in or some niche that you have, you know, some, liking too and providing value to some people in in a way that's unique that's how you can monetize online and you know that's when you're able to kind of you know 
after you provided, you know, so much value for a, amount, a certain amount of time, people won't have a problem paying you, you know, that 10, that 20, or even $500 a month, depending on the amount of value that you're giving them. And, you know, obviously if you can scale that to, you know, a certain hundred, hundred, a few hundred, you know, people paying you that amount, you're going to be well off. So that's a, that's a really great thing. So as far as the, um, what's it called that you've been the, uh, cause you mentioned an investment group, mm-hmm. right? So you have like, uh, you manage an investment group. So I know you are, of course, involved. I manage with- limited liability partnerships. Just okay. Just can't have come back. I manage limited, <laughs> limited yeah, liability partnerships. Yeah, we got we to gotta, we gotta make sure that's said the right way. Right. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> as far as that, is that more so like, because uh, I know you do the trucking and you do the real estate. So is that essentially what you're investing in with, you know, uh, with these people's money? For sure. For sure. So what I do is I have identify a product. Uh, whether it's real estate or a truck, and then I present it to our group and people who want to come in, they come in at the exact price points. Um, so prime example, we have like six properties in Detroit, a duplex in Cleveland, um, and a property here in Texas. So, you know, hey, this property is 30K, taking all offers for 10 or 20%. Okay, then we get a certain number of people in the house. Uh, and then as our property manager takes care of it, every quarter, every quarterly, quarterly, they get a check. Right. And it's just divided up across the percentages. Super simple. Right. And what I tell people is having having integrity and and because, you know, it, you could spend 20 years building your name in five minutes to lose it. Yeah. Right? And, and the prime example I give, and this isn't slapping on Beyonce's daddy. Beyonce's daddy was a millionaire and a businessman way before he cheated on Beyonce's mom. But that's all we know of him. Oh, he cheated on Beyonce's mama. He gone. He out of there. She fired him. And it's like you just lost 30 years of being one of the most successful Houston business black men ever because your reputation matters. And I always say that to people, people, if you go Google some of the accomplishments of Beyonce's dad, you'll, you'll see what I mean. Um, my goal at all times is to serve you and serve me, right? So if I'm serving you well, and, and this is what I'm, I'm gonna bring it up to talk about value. A lot of people are like, oh, I just quoted some books. Yeah, I gave people value. No, 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 no. The bar is very low at this current time for what is value. Um, I read a, a viral post the other day where this one was like, I'm not teaching my kids to say yes, ma'am, and no, and no, ma'am, yes, sir. That's ridiculous. That's, that's, that's country. And I'm like, in the future, about 10 years from now, the kids who do say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, um, who put your clothes on right, who brush your hair when you come out the house, not in pajamas, it, literally, it'd just be so easy to win. I mean, I was somewhere in a store and I saw people in their pajamas. I'm like, what level of depression are we on that we outside in pajamas? This ain't college. What's going on? Even in college, East Carolina was like, look, y'all, wrap up these pajamas, put on clothes, right? The level of value, when I tell you um, that the value I put in these videos will pay me for years, and I mean it, the last two years, what I did, I'm a super connector. There's a great book called Super Connectors. Go read it. If you, I don't know everything. But I will work my hardest to connect you to somebody who does know it, right? I'm, I'm not a daily operations person. I, I hate daily operations. It's the worst. But I will put people in this office and in this positions so that daily operations gets done, right? You have to work within your strengths. And so for prime example on super connectors, I brought on people who I thought had what people needed in the marketplace, whether that's trading stocks, fitness, tech writing, tech jobs. And I brought them in 
And one of them is uh, Terry Gioma Travel and Training. And she was for four months, she was the number one on Teachable, like number one sales of all on Teachable. I made six figures off that. And I don't quote it to say, oh, look, I made all this money in affiliate marketing. I made it because I brought on a woman who was a wonderful, excellent teacher. And people are out here teaching stock trading for 20K a month, 20K, 30K, 50K, and she's teaching for two and five. And I'm bringing her on, connecting with people, and people are connecting. So, you know, I went to one of her events and I walked in the room, people were like, yo, Erica, I'm, I'm in here because of you, right? And I'm like, thanks. But really, my job is just to facilitate you getting to what you need, mm-hmm. right? I'm not on YouTube for, for the, oh, I'm going to be famous. Like, mm-hmm. like, miss me with that. Once you hit about 200, 300 grand, you, you, the numbers and money are different. And just being very honest, like, like men and women are different in that that way too, right? Men are like, let's dominate, let's we're gonna take over whole cities, and I'm like, cool, yeah, you do that, baby. Like, buy up all Houston. Women are inherently, and there's several books on this. We get to a level of, can this take care of my family and the next generation? Can I travel a bunch? This is good, and and this is like something in our nature, and that's Lord made us that way, and that's great. Um, of course, there's rare hearings. There's always my fussing me about that, but. I realized the deeper I got to business, I got a sense of joy connecting people. Like, hey, I got to do all that. I don't got to know all that. And I want people to understand that as I'm doing all these different investments, they're just paper. You know, an LLC is just paper. Uh, a, a deed is just paper. And once you start wrapping your head around stocks and investments and different things, you're like, oh, okay. Like it, it becomes more normal talk. And the reason I even started YouTube is I would talk about conversations. People like, I've never heard of that. And me and my family talk about it every other week. And so it's just a lack of exposure on a lot of people's part. So what I'm seeing, I think one one major thing that um, people would say that you're lucky for is always like um, they say they would say that, oh, you're lucky because you're able to just to go uh, ask people for money. And then people were like, well, give you money for like your investments or anything. <laughs> But I think it's it's much more more fundamental than that. Like you had to break it down and be like, how long have you for one you've been doing YouTube for a while. Secondly, you are bringing you're like pretty much telling people about your journey. So they're getting to see your face. They're getting mm-hmm. to see your, your authentic and transparent self. They'll be able to like almost feel like they have they know you in a way. Like you're pretty much yeah. building a rapport with people right out the gate. And so now people who are joining you on your journey and just watching you as you continuously evolve and then go and find different investment opportunities. People want to be a part of somebody that they feel like they already know anyway. So you're pretty much paving a path for yourself in order to be able to gain these investments once you finally ask for them because you've been providing value and you've been like pretty much showing them your authentic self. So now they feel like they can trust somebody who they feel like they know. And so now it's not luck anymore. It's like I've been preparing for this moment. And so now all I have to do is pull the trigger and it's, it's just like money is falling, coming towards you. But you have prepared for that all the way up until that moment. Part of the theory, what, what cracks me up about people like, oh, man, you're just asking for money is they're missing the value exchange of management, property management, real estate management, investment management. They're missing the part of people already owning businesses and being down this road before. Um, people, if they're smart in the next couple of years, you're going to get get near somebody that's got the money or get near somebody who has a direction they're going. Right. There's a lot of people just out here floating. And what I tell people is like me buying this land here in Texas when I'm planning on buying a laundromat and a couple other acres and buying a couple of duplexes. The people that all my staff are going to do nothing but prosper from that. Right. The people in that circle are going to do nothing but prosper from that. 
And that should be your goal whenever you start any investment club, any investment thing. We're all going to eat. Right. We're all going to live good. The biggest thing I want people to understand is they've got to let go of that very, I'm going to just show it work. I'm going to get a check and then boom, I'm going to do it all by myself. I'm going to do it Lone Ranger style. Like that just doesn't work. Uh, it, it requires staff and systems. Sound like a self-employed versus a business owner. Yeah, yeah. Like only I can do it that so great, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you can't be in seven places at once. You just can't. And somebody can do it 80% as well, great, right? So um, a lot of times what people don't understand is, uh, I remember I was on Instagram and I don't even, Instagram's not my preferred method. And so I would think really hard on these posts. I would post like thinking of a paragraph and ty- I'm typing it in. And then it wouldn't get that many likes. I got people on my staff posting just a bunch of nothing. And people are like, 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 like. And I started laughing because I'm like, look at you overstressing about something that's a simple daily task. And people on your staff are like, here, boom, throwing it out there. And people like it. So, so a lot of times what people end up doing is working themselves into a rut or wearing themselves out trying to have this perfect brand instead of a brand that's active, growing, and can make mistakes and can be nimble, right? And that's a really, really good point too. That's just, I mean, <laughs> if you can, it doesn't even matter what you're doing. If you can add value in it, man, you're going to get paid for adding that value because the market is always going to pay you what you, you're worth. Right. And that's even, even to a lesser or a service level too, just looking at employees versus a business owner too. employees get paid based off what they're worth. So do the business owners. Right. I mean, if you're working as a cashier at McDonald's, you're getting paid that minimum wage because that's what society values as what you are worth. Right. But when you're the CEO of McDonald's or you're Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, you're getting paid because you value that you're bringing to society in that regard. Not to, I'm not talking there's a difference between value and valuable. I'm not saying you're not valuable if you're working at McDonald's, but just in the regard of the value that you're bringing. So that's a that's a really really big point. I hope people. I mean, you're, you're close to making me get in that argument about that fifteen dollars an hour. You're getting close because I that thing burns me up. There are a lot of people who in our society. Well, I showed up. I should live well. And you're like, no, 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 no. These trophy kids have ruined it, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of people. There's about let's be very clear. Only about three million people in the whole United States makes minimum wage. And out of that three million, I think two million are older adults. The rest are like young college age. Those jobs are always meant to be transitional. Yeah. They were always meant to be transitional. They were never meant for long-term placement. You know, the average fast food worker right now is 36 years old. And if, so if that's the average age, and that that's the medium, I'm sorry, the mean age. That means there's somebody who's way older mm-hmm. and some way younger, right? Um, my goal anytime I see this is for you to not say, well, they deserve to pay me more because I have a family and also, no, no, it's time for you to move on to the new thing. It's time for you to, you know, grow. I mean, even right now in this pandemic where people have been home for four, six months, people are outside and living their best lives, yeah. um, turned up, turned all the way up. Right. And when people would suggest on Instagram or YouTube, like you guys got to be studying, educating yourself, preparing yourself so you can come out of this thing better. How dare you tell us we should be studying? How dare you? <laughs> you're like, because you're broke. Because <laughs> employment is running out. Because you have children. Because you have a family. I'm not obligated. I didn't make those children. I didn't have a good time having them. So I, I mean, that ain't my time, you know? So you just want to convince the people like, you know, um, and that's part of why I made the Ride 20% class. And it's like a mastermind because I was like, it's all this doom and gloom talk. When really, this is just an opportunity for people who are ready to rise up are going to rise up. 
Because there's a lot of people who just, I'm just showing up. Why can't I get $15 an hour the whole time you're on your cell phone at work? Yeah. <laughs> whole time. Okay. Uh, no, you cannot. Uh, you, you know, so sometimes you're like, I hear those arguments and I feel for them because they feel like that's the only thing they have to do. Yeah. Um, but mentally, someone has failed them at some point in the process. Maybe themselves, maybe their parents. I mean, every day when I talk to people, I'm like, do you see these things we have in our phones? They're supercomputers. Right. So you can either be on your phone, your supercomputer that you have in your hand, looking at Big Booty Betty, or you can go be going to do something with it. I mean, that's yeah. just that. My that's Big Booty Betty. Big Booty Betty. <laughs> and they be out there just, I mean, do you know how many, like, there's some guys that would be amazing at sales. Yes. It's been all day and everybody DMs. I'm like, honey, if you could go apply that to a sales job, you you probably be a hundred, you make a hundred racks. Yeah. Well, apply that consistency somewhere. Take that energy and put it somewhere. Uh, that's that's the I mean, the society that we live in today, that's why I, I mean, I'm a big believer in the fact that you can come up out of any circumstance, right? Like you can literally, just because of the society we live in, you can work a job at Walmart, read about stocks or investing or real estate, go Uber for six months or a year, save enough money for that down payment, get their first rental property. And that alone literally changes the trajectory of your entire family. And that's yeah. the society that we live in. But people rather play victim. A lot of people rather mm -hmm. play victim and say, well, I mean, I wasn't born wealthy. It's not available for me. So I can't really go do that. A really amazing book I read, because um, I couldn't understand a lot of stuff. As an adult, I couldn't understand people's mindset. And it's called Eugene Robinson's The Disintegration of Black America. That book is not just for Black Americans, it's for all, right? And it was a abandonment class, a mainstream, a transcendent class, and a, I forgot, translucent or whatever the other class was. It was up top, right? And so you got the Oprahs, you got the basketball players, you got the football players, they up there, you know, we, we're not even relating to them, that's a whole different life, right? But then you had this, this transcendent class. And in the book it was talking about, it was like mulattoes, it was Nigerians, it was the business owners, it was this progressive black people who are kind of like, okay, well, we're going to do, we're going to make it, make it do what it would do, right? And it's like these little subcultures, right? And we could all, you know, if you've ever been anywhere and you're like, man, I'm Nigerians, right? You know, or you go to hospital and they all Nigerian nurses, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's becoming that subculture. The mainstream is this mainstream working middle class that's kind of like going on, doing what they got to do, just enough. Not thriving, not, su not, not suffering, but just enough. And then you have this abandonment class. And then the abandonment class, what it was saying in the book is it used to have factories. And you could go get a job and you could work and you could almost get yourself out of that. But a lot of the abandonment class are people who are underpaid or in um, part-time work or just can't seem to get out of that situation, just poverty. What I tell people is even in America, even in those who are in poverty, I mean, I know they made the joke for a long time, the Obama phones. They even had a, set, a smartphone at their disposal to do something. Now, why am I saying that? There are people who could spend a year watching videos on how to trade stocks mm -hmm. on YouTube and, and could change their life. Um, there was just an interview on uh, living, uh, CNBC living, these guys in Baltimore, he's making 25K a year, and he's living in Baltimore. He still lives on his own. He has his own apartment. And his whole thing was like how he was sleeping on couches for a year. He only eats one meal a day. And he's still super optimistic and knows that if he could just get that accounting job, like right now he does tax preparation. 
and you put 13 grand. Now, this kid only makes 25,000, but somehow over the past couple of years, put 13 grand into his Roth IRA and his stock account, Robinhood. If he just gets consistent, a little bit more money, he has a whole different life. And so I never believe that we are stuck in a class in America because this is the country. If you can make it anywhere, it's here, right? And, and I just think that phones and those laptops are just game changers. And if you can just, I mean, just one or two or three things, you pick them, you really can just knock it out the water. I mean, it's just, it's just too many success stories for people to really like give up. Yeah. Right. If there's somebody out there doing it, you can do it kind of conversation. Yep. I think that's, that's gotta be like one of my foundational reasons for why I enjoy the podcast so much. Cause really what we're trying to do is make, I mean, people have the resources, but one thing that is big is that they don't understand that they do have the resources or that they don't understand how to use them. So I feel like that's one big thing with all the influencers that we have going around, like on different social media platforms. That's, I think that's really going to help change the game for a lot of people because usually you just, at the end of the day, you just don't know that other things are a possibility out there. Like for you, for instance, you saw the entrepreneurship in your family. So you had at least that to say, okay, I've seen it done before. I, I know it can be done after seeing what my cousin was able to do. I know it can be done. Some people, like you mentioned earlier, some people never see that. So by, uh, I guess it's really good that people can come onto social media platforms and still be that voice of influence because now you don't have to physically see somebody in your particular neighborhood or your community in order to see things being done. And all it takes is that mindset shift to be like, oh, shoot, they're doing it. They look, they look like me. I may be able to do something myself. Like now, now I know it's a possibility for me to do, to do something like that. So I think foundationally, that's one thing that we really need to, um, I guess, keep in mind, if anything. But that's something I think I feel like a lot of people need to be able to take heed to though. And uh, moving on from there though, I was uh, really wondering, like, I know how your family was, how they viewed you before, like did they wanted you to just find a safe, secure job. So what, what has it been like for you and like within your family now, as far as how they view you and um, how you're are you able to like give back to them and like things of that nature. You don't want me to find a safe, secure son. Nah, <laughs> nah safe, secure husband. That's uh... <laughs> That's the, they're like, hey, well, we have time as a husband now. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Um, so what's funny is the transcending of the companies and the moving, I think they've been like, oh, they're still doing that YouTube, huh? And and then I got put into the article by Black Renaissance, uh, Black Wealth Renaissance, mm -hmm. in like top 30, whatever. And I sent it to one family member. He sent it to like 100 people. Y'all see her? Y'all see her? <laughs> and so it became real for him because he could see it, right? Right. Um, and then on top of that, it was it was like a family time gathering. And they were like, oh, let's, let's all throw our money in to get crab legs, which is so funny to me because I'm not bragging about family's wealth, but like they got all these rentals. A lot of them have military retirement and pension. And then they and then they are like, oh, let's all throw in on something like, like it's like they struggled, right? So I was like, don't worry, I'll go buy the crab legs. So I come back with all this shrimp and crab legs and crispy little bowl, probably like 300, 400 bucks or something I spent. I can't remember exactly. But I came in there with all these crab legs and stuff. And they're like, oh, somebody's got money now. Somebody is rich. Like they just had lots of jokes, but it was like, it became real because it became a, it, it, it was a real thing. And, and one time I, I had gotten a fight with one of my aunts and I left my ATM receipt on the table because I'm that petty that day. And, and so, so she was like, oh, excuse you, right? And, and you know, just the trucks. I remember I bought the first property in Detroit, and they're like, oh, Detroit, why there? And then we, now we're on the sixth property in Detroit. Well, you know, as long as they pay the rent, I guess. 
And so it's one of these things that it you'll always be seen in your family's mind as as that little kid little that was Erica. you know what I mean? That little kid that was eating at the table. Like it, it's it's a lot to transcend that in the in your family's mind. Yeah. But that's just life though. But yeah. my goal at this point is my nephews, neither one of my nephews born, well my oldest nephew definitely not, but the younger two, they've never not seen his mother or me or any of the other family which have not have a business. That's all they've grown up in. Okay, so my oldest nephew's 13 and he has uh, 30 right now lawns he cuts. My uncle that's retired is driving him around so he cuts his lawn so he could be gone, right? Well, then his grandpa has a tire shop. His father has an oil chain shop. He works there all summer. When the COVID went down in March, that's all he's been doing. Been at one shop to the other shop. Cutting grass, one shot. So there's room in society for vocational. There's room in society for working with your hands. There's room in society if you want to own a business. We gave them 10% in one of the trucks. Um, you know, it's going to a trust or whatever. But And so it's like, he has, there's no excuse. There's none. By the time he's 18, he can't be like, well, you know, if I could, there's, you've had every opportunity. You've been shown every different way. There's multiple businesses in the family you could take over, be a part of. And I think that's important because you don't, I'm meeting people who have 18, 19, 20 year old kids who are so lost, just no direction, don't know what they're going to do, don't know what they like, don't know, you know, don't know day from night. And I go somewhere in that parenting, somebody didn't set anything up. They just were dropping them off at school and hoping and hoping for the best. And I don't want that for my family. I don't want it for my nephews. But um, I, I just think that's, I'm going to go on tangent, but I'm very, I'm very adamant that if you're not giving people direction or you're not helping these kids kind of see where the future's going, you're, you're doing them a disservice. Yeah. And that's really, that's really big too. That just, and I think the fact that you mentioned that kid grew up and that's all he's kind of saw yeah. growing up. That's how, you know, generations are changed because uh it's a it's it's kind of like that whole thing of you only know what you are kind of accustomed to and if all you're accustomed to is seeing businesses around you then that's going to be the normal for you it's not going to be a risk to start a business or have a business as opposed to a lot of people that grew up with you know in that e-quadrant and then that's kind of just how the rest of you know their lineage is for the next 300 years there's no excuse there's no like no one ever helped me. No one ever told me. It's out here. It's out yeah. here. You can see it. And that's why I don't even, whenever someone says, because I know, Marlon, you kind of just mentioned how, like, people don't see it. And I know we've had this conversation before, and I've always disagreed with you in this, just in the fact of, like, even if you don't grow up seeing it, that's never an excuse to me. Because it's, all like, you're always on social media. You're always on Instagram. It's always, it's around you. You're just following the wrong people. Mm-hmm. And that's not nobody's fault but your own um so that's why you know it's that's always a a interesting conversation but (laughs) that's just my take on that so we can kind of uh wrap it up now with the fast five we will ask you five questions and you have to answer them in um 30 seconds or less so the first question is what does success mean to you flexibility freedom choice nice all right question number two what's your favorite money or business book you made a lot already. So. Um, Cashflow Quadrant, Robert Kiyosaki, and also Four Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. The OG like both of them. Okay. Would you rather have a thousand dollars a week for life or a million dollars today? A thousand dollars a week for life. Why is that? Um, 
consistency projections, eventually at some point you get your, your investing part of that money anyway. You're not gonna be like, I'm gonna spend all the way up to a thousand every week, no. You'll, you'll invest. Now, question number four: If you go back, if you could go back and change anything about your journey, what would it be? Man, that's a—I'm a big believer in like anything changes, it changes the, the butterfly effect. Um, I probably would have uh, traveled more. I know it sounds silly, but I would have traveled more. There was a four-year period in North Carolina where I wasn't traveling at all for whatever reason, but I would have traveled more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, last question then. Where can people find out more about you? The YouTube, baby. Erica Williams. You can just literally type in a search for Erica Williams. I'm the number two Erica Williams on YouTube at this point. Uh, over 1,800 videos. I think we're at 2,000 videos, I'm not certain. Um, Instagram, Erica's Classy Climb. This was super fun, man. Uh, we really enjoyed getting into your story. There was a ton of stuff in here that we got to unpack, and I'm really glad you kind of uh, eloquated it the way you did and kind of how it unfolded to where you are today. It's really, you know, cool to see and I think it's going to be really inspiring really eye-opening because we haven't really got to talk to somebody that has you know been um utilizing the leveraging the internet to really make uh, a bulk of you know their money and you know then taking that and putting that into other assets um, so I really love what you're doing and, you know I'm really excited to kind of see where we're going next you know? Well, that's it for this episode of the Money Monopolizers podcast. New episodes will be released every Thursday and will be available on all platforms. Just search Money Monopolizers wherever you listen to podcasts. We hope you learned something of value today. And if you did, we'd appreciate it if you gave us five stars and left us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find out more info about us on Twitter at the Monopolizers or on IG at Money Monopolizers. We post informative content on there that'll keep you engaged. Be sure to check that out and share those posts. But until then, we're out of here. You've been listening to the Money Monopolizers podcast, helping you take control of your financial destiny. To learn more about how you can be in control of your money, visit MoneyMonopolizers.com. We'll catch you next time when Alex and Marlon share more personal finance and wealth creation tips with you. Now it's time to take action.